Greetings friends, it's a blessing for me to come to you today and just bring you the gospel of God's grace. That's what we minister about every Sunday. That is what it is all about. It is the grace that God has given us and uh, the love that He's come to show us. Today I'm going to be teaching from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to talk about Jesus Christ that became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now before we get into the message, I want to just give a little bit of an update on what we're busy with here. We're just busy with our building program and uh, we trust. I hope to be into this house in about three weeks. We will see if it's possible or not. It is just, we take it as it comes. We're working very hard. I mean, we basically take no rest and we're just putting in everything um, that we can in getting things along as fast as possible and uh, yeah next Sunday we will also be preaching in the flood lanes we were supposed to be there this Sunday but then they weren't ready for us we want to make a donation and give uh, iron sheets for a roof there for a building and they must provide the poles and uh, they must do their part and we will give the iron sheets and to do a donation towards them that way so we are planning to do an outreach there and if the weather holds and everything works out we will do it next Sunday so next Sunday there will not be a service I'll make a little video and give a video update next week on what we are doing I first want to see enough progress before we make a make a little video but um, yeah we're having a wonderful time we're enjoying ourselves we are ministering the gospel, sharing with people. So, uh, yeah, we're excited. We're doing what we feel we want to do. Let us just pray together as we start our service. Father, I want to thank you for the wonderful opportunity that I can stand right here and bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and that I can know that people, as they hear this, they will be encouraged with this message. They will know that your love and your grace and your kindness is shining over them that you are not a god that take past sins into consideration but that you are calling us to share in your life for you have come to fill the whole world with your presence with who you are you've come to bring your life to us and thank you that we can rest in what you have given us and share in your quality of life amen and amen well, if you hear a lot of noise around uh, our microphone for some reason, didn't want to make a proper connection, and this is a typical Saturday afternoon in, uh, in an African village, you're going to ha have music blaring over there, kids making a noise there and all those kind of things. And uh, if you can hear this, if it picks up on the microphone, enjoy it with me. This is just, uh, you, you're living with me here. You, you're hearing what it is like. Um, right, we're going to get into 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to read from verse 16. It says here, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are in, excuse me, what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but we are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer to those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our minds, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, 
it is for you. I'm going to try and explain what that means. It says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Now that is also a very controversial verse and I'm going to try and give my opinion on that verse. And I do believe that it is the truth. And then verse 15, it says, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So what Paul is basically saying here is, is that he knows exactly who he is, he knows what he is, and he's speaking to the people and he's, he wants them to boast in the Lord Jesus Christ and not in the flesh, meaning that they would not have their identity in being Jews or Gentiles, but that they will have their identity in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Eliana and I we were just talking about this identity in Christ. It is absolutely necessary to find your identity in Jesus Christ. We've seen as we deal with people that if a person's identity is not in Jesus Christ, it is a terrible thing. It brings a lot of fear. It brings confusion. It brings works. It brings anxiety. It brings a human ability to try and preserve life. And that is always a disaster. We need to find our identity in Christ. As what Jesus Christ himself found his identity in being a son of God. Jesus Christ saw himself as the son of God. And as he saw himself as the son of God, and he found his identity in who the father said he was, it saved him from trying to use his own mortal flesh to try and preserve his own life. It's very, very important to find your identity in Jesus Christ. And this is what Paul wanted these people to know, that we don't find our identity in ethnicity. We don't find our identity in which... Uh, country we live in or our finances or any of those kind of things we find our identity and we identify with the resurrected Jesus Christ we identify like today I can say I identify as a South African and yes that is true as pertaining to the normal things of living in this world but there's a greater identity than just a South African and that is that I'm a son of the living God that God is my father that he loves me and that I have favor with the almighty God and that I am sharing in his life that is our identity I mean we can talk about identity and go on to that and just give a, a, a very in-depth teaching which I'm not going to do today Again, I apologize if there's any noise. I've got my camera there and I've got another phone here making a recording. Um, and sometimes there can be some annoying noise. Please bear with it. So what, what Paul is saying here, he says, and this is a very important passage here. He says, if we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. So what he's saying is, is if I'm out of my mind, if I'm saying that I am not a Jew, I mean, that would be crazy. It's like me saying today, I am not a South African. Or if I'm saying I'm not a white man. Some would say, man, he's taken his religion a little bit too far. He's not standing with his feet planted 
on solid ground. He's lost his mind. Now, what he's saying is, is if I'm out of my mind, as some say, he says, that's not my fault. It's not to my doing. That is because of God. It's because of what God has done. He has taken all people groups that there were. There were only two, and that was Jew and Gentile, basically from the foundation of the Jews. There were just the Jews and the non-Jews. And he has basically said that death is in all these people, and since Jesus died for all, in other words, he had to conquer death for all, it simply means that it is the problem of all people, that all people died in Adam. And that death was the problem of all Therefore, the solution, if the solution is the solution for death and what leads unto death, uh, that solution is for all people. And that puts all people into the same boat. Therefore, there is no more Jew and Gentile. And the reason why I'm reasoning like this, it's because of God. So if I today go and I'm saying, man, listen, my president, if we want to use the normal language that we use today, years ago they used the word king or they used the word Lord as pertaining to Caesar and Rome and so forth. My president is Jesus Christ. Some might say, man, yeah, that's spiritual talk. That's not the real thing. But if I talk like that, it is because of God. So if I'm out of my mind or if Paul says, if I'm out of my mind, it's because of God. Then he goes on and he says, as some say, it is, uh, if we're out of our mind, as some say, it is because of God. Then he says, if we are in our right mind, it is for you. So what he's saying is, is uh, if I'm in my right mind, which is God's mind, the right mind as pertaining to being out of your mind because of what God has done is because of you. So Paul says, I'm in my right mind by saying that there's no more Jew and Gentile. He goes on and he, he explains his argument. He says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. In other words, we are convinced that Jesus Christ died for all people. And if Jesus conquered death for all people, it means that all people were in the, in the bondage to death. It says, if Christ died for all, then all died. That means that all are in the grip of death. And when the Jewish people believe that they are the people of God with life, and it came to the revelation that all people are under the grip of death, the moment that revelation came because Jesus died for all, it meant that the whole Jew-Gentile thing is now dead, and there is only one people before God. It's a bit complicated, church, but that is what I believe the man has written here. And I think that is also how he would have explained it in its context. Right, now from verse 16, or verse 15, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So Jesus died for all people. Therefore, it means that all people were in the bondage of death. That means there's no differentiation between people groups and that's not even what I want to preach about and uh, he says here that so that those who live in other words those who are alive today should not live for themselves what that means I'm not living for being South African or I'm not living for being white I'm not living for certain things I'm living for him who died for me and rose again because that is the only life that will be forever I live on account of him. Verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one after the flesh. 
So if I don't see myself anymore after the flesh, I regard no one of the flesh. That is what Paul is saying here. And then it goes on, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And, excuse me, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's a very, very powerful verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, Lena, can you just check there? Maybe it's just the gift house. Is it not? Okay, okay. It says here, um, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new cre the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So Paul is basically defending his view that he is saying there's no different people groups. There's just one people group. To us today, it is a very small thing. But back in those days, it was a very big thing. It's like going to the Israel movement. If you go to the British Israel movement, many of you will not even be familiar with that. But they basically say only white people are the people of God. If you go to those people, if you go to those children that grew up in those houses for many, many years, and you go and teach them and tell them, you know, through Jesus Christ, all people are the same, that would be absolute blasphemy to them. And that is the case here. And this is what this was all about. But Paul comes and he says, in Christ, there is a new creation to the point that he does not even relate to himself anymore as pertaining to his own ethnicity. That is new creation to the core. That is not a spiritual thing about where you go when you die or any of that. That is the real kingdom of God that has come to the earth and has come to make everything new. Now, it says here, um, in verse 18, and this is all from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. And this is the ministry we have. It says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Now, what does that mean? Not counting people's sins against them, this is what he said. All people, this is God's from God's perspective, they are in death, they did not serve me, they did not believe in me, the Jews went astray, the Gentiles, I've allowed them to go their own way and do their own thing, but I have come and I've still given my son for all people. That means I did not count their trespasses against them and I've basically said, I've now come and granted unto them repentance and what it basically is, is I have not left them to die but I've given opportunity to humans, to people, to believe upon Jesus and have eternal life. That is what he's saying there. Let me read it in verse 19. This is the ministration of reconciliation, that God reconciled the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. We find this in Acts 14 as well. When Paul preached in Iconium and that area there, and I've ministered on this before, he came to the people that were worshipping false gods. They were worshipping, I can't even remember the names of the gods. 
And he then said to them, listen, God didn't leave himself without testimony. And while he allowed you to worship all other gods, he still blessed you. And the blessing that came your way while you were not serving God was God showing his faithfulness. But now he's come and he's raised Jesus from the dead. And after that he's raised Christ from the dead, we can now believe upon him and have life from him. Now, what I'm trying to communicate is this. As we look at the Old Testament God, and this is the point that I'm trying to make, we see a loving Father. We don't see a God that had a change of mind because of Jesus. We see a God that wanted to bring a change of mind to humanity through Jesus. Let me say it again. Jesus didn't change God's mind. Jesus brings a new mindset to us or a repentance, or a change of mind, where we awaken unto the reality of the loving Old Testament God. If we think that the God of the Old Testament was not a loving God, or the very same God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, or as forgiving, or as loving, and as kind, and as good, and as willing to save, as what the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is, we will have something inside our minds that we would say, well, we have a God and a Father that was rehabilitated by Jesus. And that He has now changed and He's repented or He's got a change in mind. And in our subconscious mind, we will never know when is He going to change again. I want to tell you, God cannot change. What we've seen and beheld in Jesus, if you've seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. I want to explain something about that. Helene and I were talking about that, I think it was yesterday or the day before. I can't remember we, while we're doing our Bible study in the morning. If, let's say, um, I've got, you know, my, my one son is at university and I said to him, listen, I'll come and help you uh, with your math. For instance, I mean, I can't help him with the math. I can promise you that. <clears throat> but let's say I, I promise him that I will come and help him. And then I don't pitch up. But I sent my other son, who's already got his degree and who understands the math. I pay for him to fly to the university to go and explain to my younger son what is, you know, how it works. And then my younger son might say, well, if dad just came, you know, I know I would have understood this. Or if Dad just kept his promise, it would have been a wonderful thing because he said he would come. And then my older son would say, listen, man, if you've seen me, you've seen our father because Daddy has sent me. And that is the, the, the thing with Jesus. If we can see that when we see Jesus, we see what God has always promised to all people. That's why we are here in Zambia. You know, if, you, if you're out here, um, you know, in the middle of, well, I must say, a very small town uh, on the outskirts of Zambia. And, I mean, I'm the only white guy in this town, give you an idea. I'm the, I, there was missionaries that have stayed here before, but I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, I couldn't say in history, I don't know all people, but as in the last 25 or 30 years that, I'm, that I know this place, I'm the only white guy that has built a house here where he's going to stay for several months of the year that I know of. Um, I don't, I'm not saying, well, in town, the only other person that I've seen that is not African is a Chinese person, and they're now building a bridge here. 
And they also going out, they told me now today or tomorrow, and uh, they're coming back in a year. Now, if you're here, and this is what I want to say, you can say, Lord, what am I doing here? And I, I said to the Lord one morning, I woke up, and obviously you have your normal difficulties of the day. I said, Lord, what am I doing here? Not in a way that I don't want to be here. It was just like, a, a, almost like a, I don't know how, jokingly saying to the Lord. And then I felt the Lord spoke to my heart, and He said, what you're doing here is, you're building a house where you're going to stay, where you're going to preach the, my love and my kindness and my grace to people that don't have YouTube that don't have Facebook and that don't have preachers that is preaching my love and my kind and my great goodness to them. That's what the Lord spoke to my heart. That's what you're busy with. And this is the message that Paul has. If one died for all, then all died. And uh, Jesus Christ, if you beheld him, you've seen the Father. So when we can know that the God of the Old Testament is the one that's always been pulling the wagon of all of humanity. He's blessed them, he's provided food for them, he's been there for them. And he is now calling people to see him for who he truly is. Jesus didn't come to change God's mind. Jesus changes our mind about who God is. And he also, in the time of, of uh, uh, um, the Bible times, it changes the mind of who people think which God is the true God. Because if we sit in history with somebody that was truly raised from the dead and he called on a God and he called that God his father and that father vindicated what he believed and who he was by raising him from the dead, that God is the true and only eternal God that possesses eternal life, that has the ability to give it to man. And we find that the God of the Old Testament is the one that gave Jesus. Now, if you read your Old Testament, and your Old Testament sounds very condemning, but you cannot, and you cannot see the love of God or you don't see the love of God as portrayed in Jesus, you're simply not understanding the scripture. That is all. You're simply not understanding the verse. Because Jesus read the Old Testament scriptures and he told the woman that was caught in the act, neither do I condemn you. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I do nothing that is not of my Father. And my commandment is of my Father. And my Father has come to give people unto me whom my job is to raise them up in the last day. Giving resurrection life, giving eternal life, is not a new idea to God. It's not a new plan to God. It has always been there. He's always been loving. He's always been forgiving. And with that said, we can go and look at Jonah. Jonah was commanded by God to go to Nineveh to give them a word that they are about to be destroyed. The reason why God gave that word is not because God was fed up with them and wanted to destroy them. It is because their own wickedness would bring destruction to them and God wants them to repent. God wants them to have a brand new life. Jonah had great issue with that because if you go and look at the people from, um, uh, uh, from Nineveh, they were the Assyrians. And they were known for their brutality, their violence, their their the absolute hatred, dictatorship, how they would just do land grabs and all those kind of things. And now God sends Jonah to Nineveh and he decides, well, 
I'm not going to go there because I know God. Listen to Jonah. He says he knows God. That God is long-suffering, is abundant in mercy and kindness and truth. And Jonah's argument with God is, God, I know you. You're going to forgive those people. You're going to save those people and they are our enemies and I don't want that. It's better for me to flee and go to another place because I'm not going to stand guilty before my people and saying that I went and preached a gospel to them that God can forgive them and that God can bring into destruction that is on their way. I'm not going to do that because what if these people in the future continue with their life and destroy us? What about that? I'm not going there. And then we know the whole story about Jonah. And then at the end, after God has brought salvation to the people of Nineveh, Jonah was sitting outside of town, waiting to see if the judgment of God's going to fall on this place. And the God, judgment of God didn't. A plant grew out of the ground, provided shade for him because it was very hot. The next day the plant died and Jonah was concerned about the plant and he was very upset. And God spoke to him. And then Jonah said to God, God, I'm so angry that you've saved these people that I wish I can die. Then God said, Jonah, you care about a plant that you didn't even cultivate. How should I not have mercy on these people that, even, that don't even know the difference between left and right? How can I not have mercy on them? And that is how it ends. And it was beautiful. Eliana and I, we read through this. And as uh, the, we got to the end of Jonah, Eliana said to me, is that how the book ends? I said, yes, that's how it ends. So what is the emphasis? What is the story of the whole book? God is gracious and compassionate, long-suffering, abundance in goodness and truth. He is, is kind and He pardons sin. He delivers people. And that is who God is. And Jonah had to basically put on his bread and eat what God told Moses when he said, I am merciful, gracious, a, a forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, and I will not pass by any guilty one. I will visit them with my mercy and I will be merciful to whomsoever I want to be merciful to. And you are not going to tell me whom I'm going to be merciful to. And God has decided to bring his message of mercy to all of humanity. That is what he has decided. That is what he has brought. And that is the good news. When Jesus came to the earth, he preached the gospel, the good news of the mercy and the grace which God has promised to all of humanity that that rule of life has now entered into the world. All the preparation has been made. Now the man through whom all of this is going to take place has now come. This is the good news. And the Bible says in Romans 1.17 that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So the gospel is not the message of what we must do in order to be saved. The gospel is the message of God's power that saves. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Let me say it again. The gospel is God's power which is which power? We've preached about that every Sunday. The power of the resurrection. The power to give life to those that has died. Okay? 
the gospel, the message that the rule of God, the kingdom of eternal life has now entered into this world, is the power, the good news of God's kingdom, God's kingdom into this earth, is the power of God that saves us from sin and death. Nothing can save you. Your bank balance cannot save you. What someone else does cannot save you. The only thing that can save is the power of the resurrection. And that is what God has brought in Jesus Christ. So, the message is this. God overlooked the sins of the past. What that means is, the sins of the past, this, all, all that that basically means is this. The sins of the past could not stop God from giving Jesus as the, as the ruler that will bring eternal life as a gift to whosoever want to receive it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And when Jesus was on the cross, we saw him in all sin, in death, and all that he did was he believed the Father. And that is the message unto all of us. Even if you are in sin and death, the only thing you must do is believe upon the Father. That's God's word. Jesus was raised from the dead and what he is saying is believe me, you'll have life. Glory to God. Paul says, if you go and read on 2 Corinthians 5, let me read it quickly there. Verse 19 says that God was reconciling the world unto himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed unto us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We, Paul, the apostles, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So what he's saying is, is you might say, God, where's God? Paul would say, look at me. If you've seen me, you've seen God. Because he is through me as his ambassador. He's speaking to you. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled unto God. What that would simply mean is believe now upon God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. That can be interpreted in, in, in it, well, it will cover two things. Number one, it is that God, through Jesus, entered into the depths of death, conquered our death, so that God's righteous action of blessing people and being good to people might be seen in everyone who believes. It can also, and some uh, uh, comment commentators puts it puts it this way Paul says that Jesus Christ died and he rose again so that we as the apostles can now come to you and God's righteous action in wanting to bring life to people that we might be made that righteous action in pleading with you that you might receive the salvation and I think that is also what's happening to uh, that's what God does with so many preachers and with so many not just preachers People, people that are involved in ministry, people, and I'm not saying just preachers, man, I shouldn't have used that word. I was just thinking of the gospel being spread, but talking about the whole body of Christ. Everybody 
in the, in, in the body that is involved as a family. And I'm going to end off with, with Ephesians chapter 4 there. If we see this family where the church is God's gift to the world, what the church does is we are God's act of righteousness to the whole world when we tell the world, listen, the Old Testament God or God from the beginning saw that all people are under the bondage of death and He's come to give life to whosoever want to believe that and want to partake that. It's available for all. Amen. So, let us go to Ephesians chapter 4. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm reading here. Um, let me read from verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. You see, Paul here, he was a prisoner for the Lord. He's writing from prison. And he's saying, listen, as a prisoner, I want to tell you, live worthy. Imagine I'm in jail. Imagine that. Bertie Bruce is in jail. And from jail, he says, I want you guys, I'm saying to you, I want you guys to live a life worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wouldn't immediately, don't you think being in jail would discredit, would be of my, my reputation saying, well, he must have done something wrong. You know, he's in jail. How can he from jail tell me how I should live? But he says, listen, man, and look at what Paul says. The verdict of a judge to Paul meant absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because he was standing before Christ. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, one body. There's just one body, one Spirit. One hope. We only have one hope, and that's the hope of the resurrection. When you were called in one Lord, one faith, one baptism, we're all baptized into the same body, Jesus Christ, into the same death, and we're standing up in the same resurrection. There's one God and Father of all, who is over all and through you all. But to each one of us, to the people that are in Christ, listen to this, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when He ascended on high, talking about his ascension he took many captives and gave gifts to his people what does he ascended mean except that he descended to the lower parts of the earth i can put it this way if you want to really understand it what does he was raised from the dead means but that he died that's what it means and when he was raised from the dead he took many captives now he he took captivity captive the one translation says. So what it means is that Jesus Christ, and Paul is telling the people, I want you to be in unity here. The fact that there are apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, different gifts and so forth, doesn't mean that the body is divided. We only have one message. We only have one baptism. We only have one Lord. Everything is one, 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 one. You'll see it. He says there's no division here. And this is why even here in Zambia when we work here, I don't work under a specific church organization no we don't i don't do that even the way we registered the ministry here is that we can never have more than 10 members and those are the board members 
That is all, just because to make it legal. If it wasn't, if it wasn't necessary to register that way in Zambia, we wouldn't have any board members, nothing. We would just have people that had a passion for the gospel so we can preach the message. Most of these board meetings and those kind of things is just causing a lot of havoc um, uh, uh, and, and, and nonsense. But don't let me get into that. It also can be, if it's, if it's organized well, be of great blessing. But what Paul is saying here, there's one message, one objective, and this is it. Listen to what the, the vision is that God has. Let me read from verse 9 again. What does he ascended mean, or what does it mean if we say he raised, he was raised from the dead and ascended on high, mean that he truly died and went into the depths of death? He who descended is the very one who ascended on high, higher than all the heavens, in order to fill the whole universe. So why was Jesus, why did he ascend on high? To fill the whole universe with what? With his rule of life, where he is the source of all life. How is he the source of all life? He brings the mercy and the kindness and whatever God has dreamt for humanity to the whole cosmos. To fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave them apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity of the faith. In other words, we believe the same thing or the unity that is through the belief that Jesus was raised from the dead and in the knowledge of his son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ says, then we will no longer be tossed to and fro and so forth, which I don't want to get into. But I want to tell you this. This is my message. The God of the Old Testament has always been a kind God, a loving God. He has overlooked the past sins, but is commanding all people to repent now and see who the true God is, who has always been good from everlasting to everlasting who has always been the one who would bring the message that would aid us from our sin and death and give us, and I mean the best way to say it is the way this translation says it here, to fill all things with God. Hallelujah. That is what He's come to do. And that is what we've come to experience. And that is God's plan. Do you know that the whole earth shall be filled and I'm not just talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about this earth shall be filled with the fullness of God. Don't ever think that anything that is evil and corrupt and not born from God will remain. Those things are all going. Look at Noah and the flood. Some think that the Bible says in the last days it will be as in the days of Noah. Who remained on the earth? After the flood, it was only Noah and the eight. Who will remain? What will stay on this earth? God's love, God's goodness, God's mercy shed forth in people who have the fullness of God as a free gift to all. By grace are we saved. Amen and amen. Well, um, we've come to the end of the service. And I want to just say to you, this message that you've just heard is the message that is 
burning in my heart. If one died, then all died. Therefore, uh, Jesus Christ is the Lord of all and his message of life is for all. You know, as I've been speaking to a, a pastor today, we were talking about the fear that these people have of witchcraft, where they believe in witchcraft. And the, the faith these people then render to witchcraft and the fear they live in. Churches are so scared of being bewitched. Amazing. Why? Because they've never heard that who can curse what God has blessed. They, why are people here afraid of witchcraft? Why are, or what they will call karma, or those kind of things. Why, why would it be like that? Why are people afraid of that? It's because they sin conscious. Because they think they cannot be blessed if it is not for their perfection. <clears throat> think somebody can just put a curse on you, put a spell on you. And these people's lives truly have the effect of that. Because that's what they believe. What if they can believe that God loves them? What if people in America, in Europe, in Canada, in South America, in Asia can believe that God loves them? What if they can believe that He that ascended, if we say He ascended according to the Scriptures, first descended and He took captivity captive? And he then, when he took captivity captive, gave gifts. These gifts are the gifts of Christ as it is the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor and teacher. The purpose is to teach people of the love and the kindness and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the purpose. And Jesus confirming that word with signs, wonders and miracles. Amen. That is what it is. Why? So that. And this is the reason for God's plan is to fill the whole universe. With whom and what? With what is put on display in the resurrected Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So as we go into these villages and we preach the gospel, as we are going to just share next Sunday, if everything works out with the weather here, we'll have to see. Um, as we go and we share the gospel, as I'll preach tomorrow morning, this, I'm making this on a Saturday afternoon, this recording. As I preach tomorrow morning in a church here, I'll be preaching this grace of God, this gospel, this good news that can change people's lives. And people will set free from fear, man. We, in the Western world, we may be not so afraid. Well, I don't know, some, some of the times these days we don't know, but afraid of witchcraft and those kind of things. But we are very much afraid of a wrong politician or we are afraid of a wrong government or we are afraid of this, we are afraid of that. We just don't want to, don't put the curse of these, uh, uh, this political group on me or don't put the curse of that. It's almost as if we are cursed with certain leaders. Now, I mean, certain leaders and what they stand for doesn't stand for the life and the goodness and the kindness of God. But I want to tell you, we don't have to live by fear. We are under the love of a good God that has you in the palm of His hand and nothing can take you out of His hand as we believe and continue to abide in Jesus Christ and in His goodness and love. Amen and amen. Well, thank you so much that I could share this with you. Maybe I should just tell you or show you quickly the view that I have from where I'm preaching. This is from the veranda in front of my house. Let me show you and then I'm going to pray for you guys. Oh, that's the view that I've been staring. I've had to bear with that all the time while I was preaching here. Glory to God. I want to thank every one of you 
before we pray, I want to thank every one of you for traveling with us into Zambia and not just here, but going everywhere and uh, supporting the ministry, sharing the messages, getting, the go- getting people to hear this absolute love, kindness, goodness and grace of God. Thank you so much just for the continual encouragement that you guys have towards Elena and myself, encouraging us to go on and keep preaching the gospel of His grace. You are deeply, deeply loved. Let us pray together. Father, I want to thank you that I can just stretch forth my hands to this phone right here. And by that, I'm just seeing everybody that's watching this, even in the years to come. And I just declare to you, you are the body of the living Christ. He is the place. You are the place where he finds his residence. You are the place where he's come to find his rest. He's resting inside you. He's come to peace inside you. And He's come to peace knowing that you are sealed with the Holy Spirit unto eternal life. For He eternally loves you. Father, I thank you. I stretch forth my hands that I can declare these people blessed of you. A mind that can understand how high, how wide, how deep and how long your love is. That they can, even if Scripture seems to contradict, that they can say, I see the overarching picture of the love of God portrayed in Jesus Christ. That we are under His grace. And under His goodness. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for watching this message. I trust that you will be blessed uh, as you've listened to this. That your mind is opened up and that you see God loving you.